You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Heading deep into the backcountry requires a select list of purposeful items. Items that serve a profound reason for being there. When ounces add up to pounds, fluff and fillers are a no-go. Wild Spice Company brought the same mentality to their backcountry seasoning. A small selected list of the finest ingredients go into a sealed pouch that can be tossed in the pack. The telecherry peppercorns really add a delightful punch to a trophy cut of meat or even a dry freezed meal in the pouch. Visit wildspice.com or find the link in the show notes. Choose from any one of their great blends and use the code HUNTIVORE at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome to the Hunt of Ore podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 70, Jason Thornton, Edible Outdoors Cook. Nick is joined by another amazing cook from the bayou, Jason Thornton creator of Edible Outdoors Cook. The two guys sink into the idea of condiments and sauces. He's not looking to mask the taste of his game, but elevate it. Can you imagine a meatloaf topped with smoked beet ketchup? Or a sandwich with jalapeno mayo? We go deep on these and other condiments you yourself can make at home, along with some professional tips on executing your own crawfish boil. All this and more coming at you on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. Chilly night here in Michigan. Uh, luckily, I'm talking with someone who's got a little bit warmer climate that uh, he can share maybe digitally with me down here. I am talking with a, is it La 
is it Lafayette or uh, am I saying it correctly or am I adding too much uh, Midwest in here, Jason? No, you're adding too much Midwestern. Lafayette. Lafayette. <laughs> Lafayette. Gotcha. I'm talking with Jason Thornton from Edible Outdoor Cook. That's his handle, uh, Edible underscore Outdoor underscore Cook. Um, and man, if you haven't been over uh, to see his Instagram page, check that out. There is so much food to be had on there. So many awesome ideas. Jason, thanks for joining me this evening and uh, just going to be able to chat about food. Well, thanks for having me. So down in Louisiana, you guys are coming out of winter, I think really for this first time. A couple of weeks ago, you got a real good taste of what uh, the fluffy white stuff is with snow. Talk to me about your experience down there through that. Was it, was it, were you having pipes freeze up or was it more of just like an inconvenience? And we were having pipes freeze up. We were having rolling blackouts, highways shutting down. Uh, we're not used to that kind of stuff, man. <laughs> that white stuff freaks us out. Uh, but interestingly enough, I was, we have a deer camp uh, about an hour east of us. And I was there for the whole thing. And I was finishing off my deer season and I was trapped there. The highways were closed. So I was stuck at our deer camp, stuck. I'm using the word stuck loosely, you know, how horrible <laughs> could that be? And uh, so I finished out our deer season in the snow, which hardly ever happens for us. And then the next couple of days still trapped at the camp. I started trapping. We trap raccoons to kind of help out the, the, the whole landscape, especially for our turkey eggs. Uh, so I started trapping and I was stuck there and I was by myself had 7,500 acres all to myself, uh, plenty of food, power, water, gasoline for my side-by-side and bullets. I was in heaven. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, more of a godsend than anything else. People were like hell on earth and other places. And you just, you saw a picture of the Lord's gift right there. Absolutely. I was thanking him every day. Well, thanking him primarily for the power that he didn't go out. And then everything else was like, oh, man, I appreciate you. <laughs> So with this finishing up of deer season, were you successful in, uh, in getting some venison? I was. Uh, harvested several does. Um, helped other people harvest animals. Uh, got some wild pork, which is abundant here in Louisiana. Uh, so my freezer's full. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with the way the season ended up. Uh, ended up with some waterfowl as well. And now uh, transitioning into the turkey season. Uh, we're allowed two turkeys a year here. Uh, I hope to get those pretty quickly. And then I'll be uh, traveling to Tennessee for uh, another turkey hunt on, on a, uh, my cousin owns a ranch there, a, a cattle ranch. So she's got issues with the turkey and I, I, I intend to help. <laughs> Man, you're so helpful, Jason. I just see you going around just helping out people with their turkey problems. Yeah. Hey, it, it's what <laughs> Jesus would want me to do. It really is. Well, awesome. Of just as we're going on with turkeys, tell me, tell me your favorite cut. Are you a, are you a white meat guy, or do you or do you like some a little bit of the tougher dark meat? Whew, no, I, I prefer the uh, the white meat, but I'm definitely not afraid of the dark meat. And uh, knowing what to do with the dark meat makes all the difference in the world. Obviously, you can't cook it the same way that you do the white meat, uh, but slow and slow. Uh, Braising works really well with turkey legs. Uh, I do like, and I've started doing this, where I confit the, uh, the the harder cuts in rendered duck fat, and then pull them apart and use them in other dishes. 
uh, I just did that with a rabbit dish and uh, I pulled the meat apart and I put them in egg rolls. And if you've never had confit rabbit egg rolls, uh, you're not living. Oh man. Oh man. I like that going with the egg roll. I've done like a yeast roll and I did it with squirrel where, and I didn't have any duck fat. I actually used, um, we had, we had just gotten a big jug of olive oil um, from the grocery store. So I made my wife immediately upset because I used about half of it to bring um, the olive oil over top of the squirrels in a crock pot. So I, I packed like five squirrels in there. Um, but yeah, low and slow with that olive oil in there to give it where it is simmering in a fat at that point. And oh man, that stuff just, I mean, it fell right apart. I didn't even really need utensils. I was just using my fingers. And throwing some of that meat in just a tiny little yeast roll, I ended up calling them bushy tail buns. And oh, it, I, whenever I think of doing something with squirrel or small game, it always comes back to making those little things up. It's amazing. I, I, I love the rabbit, but the way is the way that I, I cook the rabbit, like the fry rabbit, and you really can't cook a rabbit leg long enough in hot grease uh, to to fry it and not absolutely scorch the exterior of the so i pre-cook a lot of things uh i confit the rabbit for the egg rolls uh i'll put um, a whole rabbit in a sous vide pot pre-cook it and then pull it out take it out pull it apart and put it on pizza or enchiladas or tacos or you know or fry it you know don't take it off the bone and and deep fry it and you can fry it to the perfect color because the rabbit's already cooked take it out and it's crunchy and it's tender and delicious we're gonna have to stop here in a second i go back to the kitchen (laughs) so we go through all this effort you know you're talking to me like you were you were stuck at this deer camp and you've already making plans for turkeys and we've we've got on this tangent of rabbits even um and as we were talking earlier too you were just you were laying out to me uh how your garden preparations are coming along already is it worth all the effort to know where your food is coming from. So as, as Jason's going along, when you're, when you're putting so much effort into all this, gathering your own food, procuring your own produce, hunting your own protein, why, what makes it so important that you spend this much energy on it? Well, for me, it actually comes full circle. And you put in all the time in the off season and you set up deer stands or you, you brush duck blinds or you, you do a, a multitude, you scout and you harvest an animal. You're the only human to ever touch this animal. You, 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 you clean it up, quarter it, butcher it, still the only person to ever touch this animal. Cook it. And we have this conversation in my house where my kids are like, which deer was that? Was that the, the hilltop doe or was that the, the, the swamp buck? And, you know, it's a big deal in my family, especially at the kitchen. And it's teaching them, wow, you know, we've gotten we've got all this this beautiful red meat that nobody has ever touched. We didn't pull it off of a store shelf that had a plastic wrap over it for you know the last 20 something days. And before that, it, you know, it was on a truck. And it, I mean, you know, and to me those flavors are so much more uh, enhanced when you do that. And anybody who's ever grown tomatoes, I mean, you mentioned tomatoes earlier, will know that when you pull a tomato out of a, uh, the backyard garden and it's that lush, red, juicy, just amazing tomato, and you go buy one at the store and it's, it's 
it's kind of yellow and maybe a little bit of orange and you know you open it up and it it's almost white i mean what is this you know that tomato is so much better and it really is but when you start it from a seedling and then grow it with your sweat and tears and blood and you water it every day and you fertilize it and you, you keep the bugs off of it i mean it's an accomplishment to begin with but then you're reaping what you sowed and it's just you know part of it is that it really is a better product and part of it is the satisfaction that i did this you know this is all me i did this i did the deer i did the wild pig i did the, the fish i did the, the tomatoes or eggplant 100 percent me nobody else did this but me so yeah part of it is is that it tastes better but a big part of it is the satisfaction of having done it completely yourself not to bring it up because i bring it up i think i brought it up several episodes ago too um but you know as as our numbers are going up again uh here in the state of michigan with our our covid infections when this pandemic hit um how how pressed for food was you and your family was it a sigh of relief to just be like oh good the freezer is right over here and it's full of everything that i need was that a real like peace of mind that you had in, in those first really uneasy weeks of the pandemic. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it was, you know, thinking back and, you know, there was no more toilet paper on the shelves or no more meat or, you know, vegetables were at a, you know, at a loss. And you open up, not only open up our freezer and see this, that we've got all this wonderful protein, but looking in the backyard and saying, wow, we've got, you know, it's April now. I've got 12 okra plants that are that are starting to, you know, produce okra and tomatoes and eggplants. And I'm like, Man, we're going to be fine. I've got we've got this, you know. Uh, so, yes, it is satisfying. And, uh, you know, you've seen those memes before where, you know, the, uh, the, the people now understand why preppers were, were doing their thing. Not that I'm a prepper, but but they understand why saving 7000 cans of ravioli was a big deal. <laughs> exactly having a pantry of you know canned venison or a bunch of stock up there or even just the stewed tomatoes and all the vegetables like yeah that was one of the things like oh yeah we're gonna just we're gonna run out earlier this year but at least we have everything that we need you know and again our deer camp is an hour east of us and even in the in the off season there's so much to forage there blackberries mushrooms turkey on the spring but you know, it's just we're an hour away from, you know, more food, so to speak. Uh, and it, I wasn't worried at all. Good deal. Good deal. I've got a chance to talk to people who are they're not hunters and they they saw um, just in our conversation. They saw like we thought you guys were kidding when you said we're in this for the food like we we see how it is a sport to you and for people on the fence who, who weren't in uh, the hunting fraternity, I think that really, I think it really was an eye opener um, just to, to see that hunters really like, well, I don't need to go to uh, the grocery store because I have everything here. And in fact, at the same time to be like, well, do you, do you need anything? I've heard more and more about people being able to use venison diplomacy or wild turkey diplomacy or, you know, even garden diplomacy at this point to be able to say like, Hey, I'm going to share with my 
friends and neighbors who, you know, are, are getting thin on stuff. And what better way to just uh, highlight a passion that we have for being able to take control of our own food, because when it's taken away, when you don't have that control, you give that uh, to the grocery store, you give that to uh, the food chain and the food chain then in the, in the States breaks, man, people were really on edge. And I thought that was a really neat thing that hunters and anglers uh, and gardeners were able to, to not just, you know, hold up on their own, but at the same time, be able to extend that, uh, that peace offering out there just to be able to, you know, settle, settle people's minds, put them at ease a bit. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it makes me think of a colleague that I had that was not necessarily anti-hunting, but definitely didn't understand it. And having several conversations with her, I would, you know, explain to her that, you know, every animal that I, every deer that I would harvest, it was a celebration of the deer's life. We revered the deer. Uh, we took care of it. We made, we went through painstaking measures to make sure that it was, it was table worthy. We would keep the, the awful, you know, like heart and, and, and liver. And, you know, it was just a, a big, it was a big deal. You know, it's not something that we take lightly to take another animal's life. And it's a big deal to us. You know, same thing with ducks. I, I, I keep the gizzards and the hearts of every, everything is used. You know, we even use uh, the feathers of, of ducks for d different applications, flying, uh, tying flies or, or the tail of a deer to tie flies. Or, you know, there, there's a, a million different things that you can do with it. And, you know, when she saw what we were doing with this, and then, of course, I would bring, you know, some, some venison for her to try it opened her eyes and now she understood that, you know, what she saw before was, you know, maybe a house that had four or five heads on the wall and didn't understand it because now they've got these, you know, beautiful animals and it's, it's just down to a head with, you know, glass eyeballs. And that's what she was seeing. But what she didn't see was, you know, everything else that, that happened with the deer. And, you know, I, I like to keep trophies too. But to me, the trophy is the entire animal, not just the bone or, you know, the tail feathers of a turkey. It's the entire animal. And I enjoy having a European mounted deer and I can relive that. And I not only relive the hunt, but I also think, man, that's when my buddies came over and we had this great meal. The very first meal after I harvested the deer or, you know, we shot these ducks. And we sat on my tailgate and popped open the propane uh, stove and we cooked these duck breasts. They were, they were 30 minutes old, you know, and like, you know, so I'm looking at all these, these pictures and these, these uh, reminders of these hunts and it's bringing me back to the hunt and the good times that I've shared with family and friends that brought it full circle to me. And it, it's just an amazing experience. And, you know, I, I just, I couldn't imagine not having hunting and fishing in my life to, to, to share with my family and friends. You know, there's people tonight that are going to eat at a Michelin three-star restaurant and not have the meal that I just described to you on the tailgate of my truck cooking, you know, two mallards. Exactly. Exactly. Just the, as you were talking about with the garden too, like you're, not only is it your blood, sweat, and tears into that, and at that same time, it's not just yours, it's it's your buddies that are sitting there. Yeah, 
you could put, you could slap a six star after one of those, you know, as I'm eating deer tacos with my buddies at uh deer camp where we, we cut up deer heart and end up frying it on. Yeah. Like you just said, just the, the propane grill right there. Like I can still taste that taco when I bring up that whole story. Whereas if I go have a awesome steak, I can be like, Oh yeah, it was, it was a good steak, but that's where the memory ends. You know, exactly. I didn't have any part in it. Exactly. There's going to be a lot of people that just resonate Jason with, with right with where you're going. I think there's a lot of people screaming amen right now. Well, and like I said, it's the entire experience and you know, no, there's no better way to bring two like-minded guys together than to share in all those experiences or to bring those experiences home to your family or to experience them with your children. Uh, My daughter and my son are ate up with the outdoors. Uh, My daughter, uh, it's amazing because I didn't try very hard. She just came about it naturally. And I was going to let her pick her own path in life. And, and, you know, it reminds me of a time we were, we were cleaning a deer together and we were in a, um, a very primitive camp. So there wasn't running water or, or power. We were in a tent. And it's late at night and we're, we're, we're cleaning this deer up. And I looked down at her and I said, man, baby, your, your, your hands are full of blood. You go wash them off. You know, just, so she went and washed them off and she came back. She said, why'd you make me wash my hands off? I said, well, baby, they were full of blood. I didn't want you to get dirty. She goes, well, I'm helping you. Well, have at it, little girl. Get your hands <laughs> bloody again. So, you know, it, 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 I will look, this happened probably eight, nine years ago. I remember it like yesterday, and so does she, for the for that matter. So you know, just those experiences with your family and friends. I, I just I keep repeating that, but you know, it's what it is. This is this is what it's about. You know, those experiences, and if you don't share them in the field with them, then you can bring them home in the kitchen and share them in the kitchen. And what better way to do that than with a really good venison Wellington? Exactly. Exactly. Your favorite critter to chase. You've told me turkey. a lot of stuff down there. Oh, he, he blurts it out right there. Turkey. Oh, it's turkey. <laughs> All right. Tell me why. Why is it the favorite? All right. So I, I've put a lot of thought into this over the years and, and try to figure out why I enjoy turkey hunting more than anything else. So you set up in the morning, you hit your call, and you've got maybe three or four toms in different directions, and they're sounding off. And you, I think it's part of the, partly the vocal aspect of it that gets me so excited because you may be deer hunting and you might have three or four really good deer around you. And you'll never know it, but you have three or four turkeys and they're sounding off. Oh man, here we go. And then, you know, you get, then you hit the call again and maybe they're, you can tell they're closer. Oh man. You know, now I start losing my stuff. I can't, you know, I have to really concentrate on, on keeping my bladder together. So it's, and then, you know, when you finally see that, that Tom and he's over there and he's got his tail feathers up and he's putting on a show and maybe he's hung up right side of shotgun range and it's just driving you nuts. And every part of that just appeals to me at my, at my core, I still get buck fever, but I get it after the shot. But with turkeys, I get Tom fever throughout the whole process. That is so cool. It's such an interactive thing. Um, I, and I get this from guys like you and I get this from my buddies. I, I grew up on a turkey farm and I still work with my, 
my dad and my brother at the farm itself. So like people talk about, Hey, do you go turkey hunting? And I'm like, well, I just, I don't have the the gusto to do it. I can walk in a barn and see <laughs> a whole bunch of them right there. But like you're saying, like, it's a, it's a chess match. It's a, it's an interactive thing. Whereas you're not just trying to hide into the woods. No, you're trying to draw them in. And I could totally see how that would be just an exhilarating thing to have a Tom out of range and you actually have to keep yourself poised still without losing your marbles as that thing walks towards you. Or losing your marbles when he walks away from you and you're like, oh my God, he was right (laughs) there. Why didn't you take, you know, why didn't you come 10, 15 yards closer? Right. And, you know, I have a love hate with him. I love to hunt them, but they're smarter than I am. So I hate them in that, in that regard. I know somebody said that they were dumb and I, I think they're basing that off some other information. Those suckers are wily. They, uh, when everything in the world wants to eat you, not just humans, but between coyote and everything that's out there, even Fox will take one down. It's like, they got to be on edge all the time, all the time. And, you know, they, they say that if a turkey could smell like a deer, You'd never kill any of them. Exactly. Whew. Glad that's not happening. Don't so we got it. the favorite critter to chase. Now, what's your favorite critter to eat? That is going to be whitetail. I mean, you're probably going to hear that a lot from all of your hosts, your, your guests. But for me, whitetail. And I love every cut of whitetail uh, from the neck to the shanks to the heart to the Obviously, the back strap, which, you know, is revered by everyone. But for me, the enti- I have got really good ways to, to, uh, to cook every last cut that uh, I just, for me, I'm like, wow, that was really good. And what was that? That, that was the, the shank, you know. Oh, wow, that was phenomenal. And I guess part of it is that, you know, when you pull the trigger on a deer, you get, you know, 80, 100 pounds of, of usable venison. So, you know, it, it, the bang is worth the, you get a, a, you know, a good bang for the buck. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> there you go. One, but, yeah, but one I, outing. I've, can... I've eaten, I've eaten animal, yeah, I've eaten bear meat, which is really good. I've eaten, you know, wild pork, which is phenomenal. Uh, elk, bison, uh, I enjoy waterfowl, uh, I, but I guess if I had to put a close second to the favorite critter to eat, uh, it, it would be turkey. I really enjoy the, the the wild turkey. Gotcha. Now, are those stable, staples down in Louisiana? If you had to pick, like, what what is the most popular things to chase? Are you looking at those two? That seems to be like a Midwest thing, too, where it's like turkeys and deer are like, kings of the mountain i mean and then you're gonna have you're gonna have your walleyes you're gonna have your bass you're gonna have the fishermen on that side too but like are those the two big kings or is like wild pork working its way up well uh the two big kings would be definitely deer and and waterfowl you know louisiana is known for its waterfowl or had been in the past it's 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 getting more and more difficult to to enjoy a waterfowl season in louisiana but they're definitely the the kings of louisiana as far as hunting um, you can still find some really good waterfowling. Um, the on the western side of the state, the the geese the goose migration is just absurd. 
mean, you'll drive by a, field, a rice field and see thousands and thousands and thousands of geese, and it would go on for miles. I mean, so they're the they're the kings. Uh, I'll uh, you know, and not to mention fishing. Fishing is a big deal in sportsman's paradise here too. Um, Louisiana has the second largest uh, yellowfin uh, tuna fishery in the country. So we're just you know 18 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, and we can be fishing tuna shortly thereafter. Or you can go to one of the world's best largemouth um, lakes two hours north of us. It, it really is a sportsman's paradise with hunting and fishing, just a great package. That's so cool. It's probably not good for your wallet, but I'm sure it's just an amazing thing to be able to chase everything. Oh, no, it's not good for the wallet at all. <laughs> you know, don't, don't make me you know, use math and try to figure out what it costs per pound for venison. <laughs> or definitely don't tell my wife. <laughs> isn't that like oh it's an old skit that jeff foxworthy did um where he he basically breaks down like what what the uh cost of one pound of venison and he was telling his wife and and kids at home that you know well i i need new camo and it's gonna cost this and i need the new side by side i need the new shotgun it comes down to like 45 dollars a pound for <laughs> for some of this he's like and you're welcome and then, but I just exactly. love that. I love that whole skit. <laughs> Absolutely. It is, it is definitely not cost effective. So being down in Louisiana and uh, judging by your Instagram, like you are, you're all over the place on your, your cooking. I haven't seen like a, like an area where you're like, I, I, I only do this. I find that, that Jason can go in so many different directions and make amazing dishes. Um, but I'm going to pick your brain on the locale of where you're at of Cajun cuisine. Um, it's not all about the heat. It's not all about the spice. There's more to it. Describe to me what Cajun cuisine is to you. Well, the I think the uh, the Webster definition of Cajun cuisine is uh, an the cuisine that was developed by uh, the Acadians, which were exiled from Canada in the 18th century, traveled to Louisiana, and and it's their their the West African, French, and Spanish influence of cooking that uh, incorporated the Cajun cooking. Most people, like you said, think it's all about dialing it up seven or eight notches with the spice. But that's that's really not, I mean, that happens, but that's really not the, the, the gist of it. Uh, Cajun cooking takes locally sourced ingredients, which is very popular now, and, uh, and you, you start using those ingredients. Uh, they came here and they found crawfish. Well, they started using crawfish or ducks, started using ducks, alligators, frogs, Oysters. I mean, the first guy that ate an oyster must have been really, you know, desperate to look at this thing and say, I got to have an oyster or, or dig in the mud and find a crawfish and say, I got to have this, you know, and then realize, well, you know, it's not too terribly bad. Uh, same thing with an alligator. You know, anybody that's looked at an alligator looks at this prehistoric lizard looking thing that can, you know, eat you. And, you know, cages look at that and we look at it, that's a meal or several meals. But, you know, the rest of the free world looks at it and, you know, looks at something dangerous. We're, we're looking at it as a menu item. But that's the, that's the gist of Cajun cooking is taking 
what they found here in Louisiana using their West African, Spanish, and French influence and, and creating these, these beautiful meals, which is different than Creole cooking. Creole, you'll, you'll find, uh, incorporates probably some of the, the, the slave influence from back in the day. And it's often considered is Cajun light, so to speak. And you'll see that a lot on the eastern side of the state, uh, a lot in New Orleans. You'll see that. Gotcha. So Cajun and Creole are not necessarily the same thing. I mean, they, they have probably the same influences, but like you said, there's going to be a, uh, a a stark difference between the two of them. Be. And I'll give you an example. Gumbo, which is a, a staple here in South Louisiana. Uh, a Cajun gumbo is really dark. The roux is dark. It's got that, that chocolate pudding color. So you can tell that that rich, uh, you know, it's very, very distinctive. And if you get a Creole gumbo from New Orleans, it's it's very light in color. It almost looks like a, a, a beef broth type, a uh, little watery, not as thick, not nearly the, the same rich color. They're both good, but, you know, you'll start a bar fight trying to, you know, a Creole guy and a Cajun guy trying to talk about their gumbos. Uh, <laughs> but there, there is a stark difference between the two. That's so interesting. It's amazing how, like, people being kicked out of certain areas and having to move to others and then just, like, the mending of, of different cultures all of a sudden, poof, comes out with something completely different. Um, a, a sausage that I have really uh, started to appreciate is andouille. Um, and it's not, it, it does have heat. It does have kick to it, but at the same time, there is, I mean, there is depth to that. The, the amount of garlic that you get off one of those uh, sausages, um, the amount of onion, um, the, the, how pungent that can be. There's so many different layers. I have really, um, appreciated that and i know somewhere i have it in a book like hey on a post-it like venison and dewey question mark like it's on the list but the list is so long on what i need to make and um but yeah that's one that i've really tried to strive for i know like uh some of the the more mexican sausages are really good like the chorizo but i've really kind of been really interested with the andouille very very common here uh, just it adds like you said a depth of flavor to to a lot of different dishes, um, even if you're going to use it in a, a pasta dishes, it just adds that that beautifully smoked pork. It's just it's a really good product. Good deal, good deal. Well, thank you for that, man. I, you hit me with so much to even just think about. Um, that yeah, it's not just pour on more hot sauce and uh, you know just the the crawfish boil, but there's a lot more that's going on and with those folks, you kind of resonate with these people that like, Hey, this is what you have. These are the local ingredients and now put them to use. Don't let them go to waste. Absolutely. So I'm looking at your handle here and it's edible outdoor cook. Well, outdoors. I'm glad outdoors. sorry. Um, I'm glad you're edible. Glad, glad you put that in there. So we know we're going to be thinking about that. Um, grilling season is upon us here in in Michigan. I know you guys, it's warm year mark or what we think is warm year round. Um, I'm a year round griller anyway. I, I I love to use both the propane and the charcoal. Get the smoker going. That's something that I I enjoy. Um, but what makes 
what makes getting out of the indoor kitchen exciting for you? Well, how, how does bringing out um, your grills, your smokers, what, what kind of passion do you drive from that? How is that different than cooking indoors? Well, many different ways, actually. If you, uh, I'm sure it's the same for you guys, but lighting up three burners in the house when it's already a million degrees outside is not, you know, not all that conducive to an efficient energy bill. Um, so we do a lot of it outside. You know, outdoor kitchens are a big deal in Louisiana. Uh, obviously, you can't smoke where well, you could smoke inside, but you're not going to want to. Uh, so smoking outside, but probably what we do more of outside is boiling. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, but we are with within one hour of us in every direction, you know, we've got blue point crabs that we boil. Uh, we can uh, catch our own Gulf shrimp. So you can boil that crawfish crawfish right now. I just ordered 15 more crawfish traps, but crawfish boils are a big deal and boiling all of that stuff in South Louisiana is, uh, it's like a religion, uh, Get the whole neighborhood together. Get your your, your friends together. Uh, you know, Lent is a big deal in South Louisiana. It's a very big uh, Catholic-driven uh, area, and you know, seafood is a big part of Lent. So, uh, I can imagine in two days for uh, Good Friday, there'll be probably more seafood boiled within you know 50 miles of us than the rest of the country combined. Uh, so we do a lot of boiling outside a lot. Um, and it's a good way to have really good food and to bring together the people that you enjoy spending time with. Um, other than that, you know, I'm just, I'm the regular guy that just likes to light up the grill every once in a while or, or light up a smoker, uh, and, and throw my, you know, all this beautiful meat together on this. But for me, the outside is the, the boiling part of it. When I think boiling too, and maybe this just might be my, uh, me living up north here in the Midwest here in Michigan, um, you know, I feel like sometimes I hear boiling and I think like, man, that's going to be mushy. That's going to be, uh, it's going to lack flavor. And it's, it's, I know that it's the way that we are boiling something, whether it is, I'm literally putting something in a pot of just, clear liquid water where whatever flavor was in that piece of meat or that piece of fish or, or whatever I'm boiling is now going to basically be expelled into the water and leave the solid portion tasteless or less potent. When you're boiling something, let's say you're doing a crawfish boil. It's not just water you're pouring into it. You're making, you're making a broth. You're making a whole series of flavors that are going into that. Lay out your basic boil for me. Okay. And it differs from whatever you're putting in a big crawfish. You get your water boiling, you'll season it. And every country grocery store has their own special blend of seasoning that you can buy. Season the water. You'll put the crawfish in. Uh, normally, I like to boil my crawfish for eight to 10 minutes, depending on, on how much we have. And then what you do is you shut your water, your, your heat off to the water, and then you bring the temperature of the water down as quickly as possible. 
A lot of people add ice. Some people add frozen things to it, whether it be frozen mushrooms or uh, frozen uh, corn cob. And what that happens is now you're not cooking your, your crawfish any longer, but now you're letting it soak in that seasoned water. And then when you pull it out and quite to the contrary of having this, you know, the mushy protein that you described, it is a firm, uh, just uh, easy to peel uh, delicacy that you, you know, we eat them straight out of the, out of the, um, out of the shell or there's a million different recipes out there for, for adding crawfish tails to fettuccine or etouffee or frying it and putting it into a po' boy or, you know, making a sauce to go over your backstrap. But to me, uh, crawfish needs a little bit more seasoning than, uh, than crab meat. Uh, when we get, catch our own crabs here, the beautiful blue point crabs that we have, I like the crab meat to speak for, you know, speak on its own. So I rarely put, uh, I put very little seasoning with I'm going to do crabs because crab meat is so amazing on its own. Um, shrimp, kind of in between crab and, and crawfish, where it needs a little bit of seasoning, but it doesn't need what the crawfish need. Uh, so it's really, you know, it's, it's developing your own nuance for it, but you'll go to some crawfish boils where some people are just die hard and you eat three crawfish and your sinuses will explode. And to me, I'm not in it for, you know, some type of challenge where you eat the whole thing and it's free. I, that's not, that's not what I'm here for. I want to, I want to taste it. Uh, so everybody's got their own way of doing it, but that is going to be pretty common. And, you know, if you've ever had very well uh, seasoned, boiled correctly crawfish, you'll never forget the experience. I, I never thought about the shock aspect of when you've brought that water temperature up, bringing it down as quickly as possible. I think that's probably an element that I've been missing in mine is I've just never shocked anything. I've just never brought that temperature back down. So that's probably got to be a huge key player in that. And then, yeah, once it's shocked, just letting it sit and, uh, mar- you know, quote unquote, marinate in, exactly. in that seasoned water. Exactly, because you definitely don't want to cook it anymore because that's where you'll get mushy food. Um, so just bring that water temperature down and just let it just marinate. <laughs> Some crawfish goodness. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, Uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. So 
So if you you end up adding something to your crawfish at that point, is it just melted butter? You just pull the tail off, dab it in, or are you just going straight in? You want you don't want to even mess with the butter at that point. No, actually, we don't use butter hardly at all. Uh, we make, uh, and this is again very common for our area. Uh, we make a a mixture of um, mayonnaise and ketchup, but equal parts, and then you can add a little bit of hot sauce. Uh, some um some garlic and mix it up and that's the dipping sauce that's very common in this area uh it's it's not butter at all actually uh that's a you know it's a lobster thing uh but the 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 mayonnaise ketchup mixture is is seen everywhere matter of fact there's there's a ton of people that actually bottle it and sell it in the, in the, some of the, the the grocery stores that is an amazing segue, Jason, because what I wanted to talk to you tonight, too, among other things that we've been going on, is the whole idea of a condiment and a sauce. What are we adding on to our dishes? Um, you know, these you'll get someone who's uh, a little bit more east of you, or excuse me, more west of you. Uh, those folks over in Texas, they think they're so big with their hats. And, <laughs> and their belt buckles. And their belt buckles. <laughs> And a good steak does not need a sauce, you know, and they say it as an absolute. Now, I will I will nod over there to our, our Texas friends over there that they have something going in the fact that you can smoke and cook a piece of meat to the point where and, and give it the care that it needs that a sauce to add moisture or a sauce to add flavor isn't needed you can you can make it flavorful enough and standalone enough but i i used to believe that but now i'm to the point now where it's like there are so many different directions and there are so many different enhancements to that piece of meat or to that piece of protein or even to those vegetables that by adding a little bit of a sauce or a little bit of a a, uh, a condiment to it that just makes that whole thing sing. Are you are you a sauce guy or are you a a no sauce guy? And I am a sauce guy. <laughs> and now, granted, I'll eat a, a a very well cooked piece of red meat. If it's not say well cooked, I'm not saying well done. I'm cooking. If you cook it correctly, medium rare, then yeah, I can eat it like that and I'll enjoy it. But if you take some some chanterelle mushrooms that you just foraged and you you, you make a, a white wine and cream sauce to, to put on top of that medium rare backstrap i'm not going to turn it away it and I, I find that the farther i get along in my cooking uh, endeavors the more sauces i enjoy now i don't want it to be you know i don't want the the piece of meat to be smothered with it so there is that that fine line of of just enough sauce for the meat and not enough sauce. I mean, too much sauce. Uh, again, I want to taste the meat, but I think those sauces applied correctly are flavor enhancers. Good deal. Good deal. Cause yeah, there is always that safety element that it's like you lose track of time you or your timer wasn't set correctly or you had, you know, two to three more beers than you were anticipating and you lost track of whatever was on the grill. 
and you pull off something that is between well and shoe leather uh, right there at that moment. And you're like, man, but I don't, I want, I still want to put it onto the plate. Like I spent enough time to like, I do want to serve this up. So yeah, you do have the ability to smother something there. There is always that catch all, you know, up, up here, we're finding like sweet baby rays. It's a Kansas city thing based, but that'll mask a lot of char <laughs> just by like loading it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's good. I like to dip into it, but yeah, if you get one of those steaks, that's just a little too crispy or you've done something just, a, you know, that pulled that you did that pulled pork, just man, you need, you, you take a drink of beer and you just immediately pulls the moisture out of your mouth. You're like, all right, let, a tad bit more of sweet babies. And that should, uh, Exactly. Hey, if you put it in your mouth and six minutes later, you're still chewing on it. (laughs) Go ahead and take some sweet baby rays with that. (laughs) But I've even figured out like, like straight Hellman's Mayo is something that like, I I just don't use that anymore. I got to find a way to doctor it up or I got to find a different way to use it. Or I know people have talked about how like your taste buds change and ketchup is almost way too sweet for me i can't handle ketchup i mean i love maple syrup which is basically sugar but something about ketchup i just can't handle it anymore i gotta find a way i gotta find a way to take my condiment and like different it up jazz it up to the application that i'm going to be using and what you said earlier too about making the ketchup and mayo combo for crawfish that's just a genius idea well i'd like to take credit for it but i guess a million cajuns couldn't be wrong on this deal (laughs) but back to the condiments i i have i have found that you know interesting ingredients make interesting foods so you know we've we've made our own condiments uh i I plant about 12 banana pepper plants uh, every year in my garden and I take those peppers and I make a mustard out of it. So I make a banana pepper mustard and it is phenomenal. I just love it. But just taking some of these, these condiments and thinking just outside the box, uh, and how can I take this condiment and just, just knock it out of the park? Uh, that's one way that I've done and it's just, everybody loves it, but just think a little bit out of the box or take uh, you know, smoked beet ketchup where you smoke some beets on the on the on the, the on the, the smoker, you throw it in a, a food processor with some brown sugar and a little bit of vinegar, puree it, and, and you know now you've got smoked beet ketchup. And you know that you when you just tell me those things, I get excited. If you're gonna serve me a hamburger, a cheeseburger with smoked beet ketchup, I, you know those interesting ingredients, just I'm already excited about it. You know how they say people eat with their eyes first? Well, I eat the menu before I even see the meal. I mean, you can, if you're going to give me those types of, of really interesting ingredients, then I'm excited. Hold the phone. You're taking beets, beetroot. Yes. That is, I mean, the, the purple, deep, sweet tuber. And you are smoking that. And then you're blitzing it up with brown sugar and making ketchup. Well, before you do that, you're going to want to put it into it. You have to soften it because it, it's not going to, it's not going to soften enough on the smoker. Right. So put it with your vinegar, 
some diced onions, some brown sugar in a saucepan and get it soft. Then cool it off, put it into a, uh, a food processor and blitz the heck out of it. And it comes out this smooth, smoky, sweet beet ketchup that, you know, French fries just die to go into. That is awesome. That that has got me itching to get back in my own kitchen right there. Smoked beet ketchup. And lately, you know, keeping on the condiment theme, I've been making my own mayonnaises. And there's no preservatives, so you've got to get on it pretty quick. You can't keep it in the refrigerator for two months like you can a store-bought mayonnaise. But, you know, the the possibilities for these these things are just endless make the ketchup, uh, the mayonnaise in a food processor. And once you have mayonnaise from your, your room temperature egg and your oil, it's, it, it's mayonnaise, but then add chopped jalapenos to it or add um, you know, uh, cilantro, which is a beautiful combination for mayonnaise. And again, you know, here I am, I'm eating with my menu. I'm eating the menu before I even start with my eyes, before I start with my taste buds. Those interesting combinations are what get my juices flowing. When you make up a batch of uh, mayo, like you said, you bring an egg up to room temperature, bring oil up to room temperature. Um, Is it merely just getting it into a a food processor and just emulsifying that right away? Or is there there a few other steps that go in with that? No. Uh, The key is emulsifying. And to do that, you've really got to pay attention to the drizzle of the oil into the food processor. If you do it too quickly, it won't emulsify. But if you, if you're taking it, it, my recipe calls for a cup of canola oil. And if you literally just drop, 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 drop into the food processor, it takes a couple of minutes to get it that way, but you'll emulsify it. And another thing is getting the, the, making sure your egg is room temperature. Uh, I add, um, uh, white wine vinegar to it and a little bit of salt and once you get your mayonnaise product then you can fold in whatever whatever suits your fancy cilantro basil uh, oregano jalapenos uh, roasted garlic i mean you know how bad could that be oh that sounds dynamite right there i'm a horseradish guy too so i'm already envisioning throwing some horseradish in there that would be really good Man, going from a, you know, here we got smoked, smoked beet ketchup. And now we're talking about making our own mayo. Do you, do you call it mayo or do you call it aioli? Do you get real fancy and go with that term? It depends on who I'm talking to. <laughs> if I'm trying to impress somebody, I'll say aioli. <laughs> but how, like, man, if you just take a few extra minutes, and I know the folks that, that are listening to this podcast are already like, heck yeah. Like, I'm, I'm done buying the stuff. Now, I'm, it even even though I'm I consider myself a foodie, um, my brother isn't necessarily as much of a foodie. But I mean, it's almost like I'll say, "What's better, mayo, Hellman's or Miracle Whip?" And I'll say Hellman's, and I could almost feel the heat of him staring at my the back of my head because he's he's full on Miracle Whip when it comes on to it. But the same idea of like you know what to even back away from the Hellman's and just be like, "Yeah, I make my own." Like that's just a level that. I think people are really trying to achieve now when it comes to like, if I'm going to get this involved in my food, I'm going to get real involved in my food. Yeah. What's better Hellman's or roasted garlic mayonnaise? No contest. 
No, no absolutely not. <laughs> man, oh man, I love talking about this stuff because it is like when you're adding on a condiment, when you're adding on a spice or a sauce, I think it really does excite things up. It's, I mean, you, you're going to put as much effort as, as you are into a marinade or into a brine on the meat and stuff, but at the same time to be able to plate and present with something that really does get you exciting. I mean, that's probably where most of your mushrooms that you forage end up as much as you could eat a morel just straight into uh, into some butter onto a plate. How often are mushrooms going into standalone on their own? They usually play a very good side role to a piece of protein that you're working with. Or do you have something completely different that you go with with your mushrooms? No. Uh, you know, like you said, how many times can you eat fried mushrooms and be okay with it? You know, I, I can only eat so many fried mushrooms and as much as I love them. And be all right, you know. I'm excited for fried mushrooms again tonight. <laughs> um, but you know, I find that Italian dishes uh, just love mushrooms, whether it be pasta or pizza. Uh, I made a, a pizza the other night with some some forged mushrooms, and it was just phenomenal. But you know, you, you, you think about it, you know, with the mushroom part, uh, they go really well with sauces. You know, I, I enjoy cooking with wine. Uh, and for your listeners out there, please, if you're not willing to drink it, don't cook with it, please. You know, cook with a wine that you're going to be willing to drink. Um, so they do really well with both red and white wine uh, in you know, cream or reductions. And, you know, I like I enjoy the, the, the cream dishes with fish and I enjoy the red wine dishes with red meat. Um, and mushrooms just absorb, you know, whatever you're actually, you know, cooking it with. So that mushroom flavor is just enhanced. And we, the two biggest mushrooms that we, we force here are oyster mushrooms and chanterelle mushrooms. And uh, good thing for us that, you know, pretty much year round, you can find one of those two. Now, do those dry pretty well? Are you able to shake those out? Or it's kind of like one of those things? At all. No, I don't like just dry it at all. Pick nope. them and eat them. Pick them and eat them, or I'll freeze them. You can cook them down and, and freeze them, but you know, fresh mushrooms are the way to go. You know, they'll freeze okay, but nothing like fresh. Gotcha. That's the tough part about foraging. Like it's it's one of those things. Like even with like ramps. Like a uh, friend of mine brought me a whole bunch of ramps, and I did as much as I could with both um, the root ball and then even with the um, the leaves, and I. You know, I used as much as I could um, in that time, but it was like after a while they started to wilt and get real soft. And I was like, well, can you freeze them? Can you, you know, do you, do you blitz them up and then like freeze them into um, ice cube trays? And everybody that I found is just kind of like, it's one of those things you got to have it now and just live for the next time you can get some. Yep, exactly. Uh, the good thing is that the majority of stuff we forage, you can preserve. We, we, we forge a lot of blackberries, so I can make preserves with blackberries, you know, jams, uh, eat a lot of them fresh. So those we can we can do. Uh, we have a lot of pecan trees, so obviously you can you can do a lot with pecans uh, and, and keep them for the year. Uh, but the mushrooms, they just, you got about a month. Yeah. So going back to the jam thing, too, um, I've been 
as soon as I make a pan or as soon as I get like my piece of venison or my piece of turkey or whatever out of uh, my pan, I, I mean, I have that fond that is just all in that pan. You add a little bit of liquid in there and scrape that stuff. So, I mean, now it's all becoming, starting to become that pan sauce that we're looking for. And I find a real good dollop of some sort of sweet jam works out really good. Um, we've got, I, I'm going to call them blackberries. I don't think they're legitimately blackberries. I think they're called black caps. But here in Michigan, we've got those right around 4th of July is the the peak of those things. Um, and they are the sweetest little berry. They look just like a, we, we call them blackberries. Um, but man, pulling out of the freezer after we do a big harvest in, uh, in July and then be able to come out in, yeah, the cold March or cold February and to be able to just dollop some of that, um, some of those into the pan, just really make this sweet sauce to pour on a backstrap. There's nothing better. Um, but when you're making jams, when you're taking your, your fruits and, and making them into jams, are you doing the whole boil down, um, add the sugar and the pectin aspect, or are you just freeze them in bags and, and hoping for the best? What are, what are you um, doing to make your jams? I, I boil them down and that's all of my, uh, we do figs, we do blackberries, we do blueberries, all of which, you know, you can find locally sourced. Uh, but I boil them down, add the sugar, like you said, pectin. Um, with the figs, I'll add a brandy or rum and, uh, and make, you know, add a little adult alcohol cooks out of it, that little, that little punch to it. Uh, and then also with the figs, once you, you, I jar everything, put my, my, my fig preserves away and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I have enough liquid at the end to continue to cook down and make a fig syrup, uh, a, a fig rum syrup. And I'll jar several of those for that for the year too. But uh, I'm the, I don't freeze a whole bunch of it whole. So what, what's the application for the syrup then at that point? Is that just going straight out of ice cream or what are you using that for? I'll leave that off a shoe. Uh, <laughs> uh, waffles, pancakes, uh, ice cream, you know, any of those applications would be absolutely fine. We eat uh, a ton of waffles. My wife bought a waffle maker and evidently it's the greatest thing ever invented in this in the Thornton household. But so we're eating waffles at a record pace, but it's really good on waffles. Um, uh, I do enjoy that sweetness with pork. Uh, and again, we, uh, we have 7,500 acres around the, the deer camp. And last year, I think we killed or trapped 313 wild pigs. Man, so yes, uh, so we have as much pork as I can stand. Uh, I mean, I, I love it. I'm, I don't want to make it sound like it's something that I, I, you know, I hate. I do. I really love it. Uh, so you know, cooking a lot of this stuff with uh, the sweet jams, whether blueberry, blackberry, or figs, pork and, and sweet just complement each other very well. Oh, awesome! Awesome blow my mind on explain to me about carrot cake marmalade so i'm going through and in some of your posts and i come across and i'm you know all right what's a condiment post that i can kind of like as i'm putting my notes together and i come across carrot cake marmalade jason i need to know the ins and outs of this 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 is going to be a straight shot to my wife's heart she is a carrot cake fanatic okay so our winter garden had carrots 
We pull up the Winter Garden. Now I've got all these carrots. What do I do with all these carrots? So I'm like, man, I can make a carrot cake marmalade. I don't know. God help me out with this one because I'm not smart enough to think of this on my own. Shredded the carrots, uh, cooked them down with a couple of cans of pineapple, uh, pineapple chunks. Um, uh, what all did I add into that? I just did this. I just did this. Uh, some cinnamon, some nutmeg, uh, cooked it down with a little bit of raisins, and then I, I jarred it. And it is phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal. I gave it to a friend of mine, and her her daughter was eating it with a spoon straight out of the jar. It's really good. Uh, my wife was eating it on waffles last night. Uh, but it's got texture uh, because the carrots don't cook down completely. So it's not that it's not soft. So it's got a little bit of texture to it. And the sweetness, there's some sugar in it. Uh, but the pineapple and the carrots add a, a layer of sweetness as well. But it, man, it's just, I, I don't know. Thank you, God, for helping me with this one, because like I said, I'm definitely not smart enough to think of this on my own, but it just hit me one time. I mean, man, I, I like carrot cake. I can make a liquefied carrot cake and put it in a jar. I tell you, that's, again, on that whole list that I'm putting stuff together that I need to meet right below andouille sausage is going to be uh, carrot cake marmalade. That's like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, man, I got to ask him about that. I put, the, I put the recipe on my website today, as a matter of fact. I want everybody to have it. Oh, I mean, sweet. I mean, yes. I, I wish I could translate it into every other language, too. I want everybody <laughs> in the world to have this. <laughs> I just got done with the talk, and I love this guy's story. Uh, just like you were saying, um, his grandmother had this dynamite key lime pie recipe. And his grandfather loved that pie so much um, that he would share it with people who – who were, was kind to him, kind to his wife. As they were out and about, he just saw someone who was just, you know, hey, I want, they need they need your recipe. And he would keep her recipe in his front pocket. So he'd have several copies of this and he would just hand that out. And it's like, what, a, what an awesome thing to have about a recipe that you create that somebody's like, I want to share this with the world. And when you're saying that about your marmalade, it's like, oh yeah, translate it into every language out there. I, I I don't want to keep any of this to myself. I, I want everybody to enjoy the same things that I'm enjoying. And I I, I heard Jeff's in I, that was a really good podcast. I really enjoyed it. But it, I, I thought I thought that was amazing. He was sharing it with the nurses. That was yeah. awesome. That was super now, let me cool. tell you what I did just recently. That was pretty interesting. My mother-in-law, I had my mother-in-law write down her favorite recipe on a loose leaf sheet of paper. Unbeknownst to my wife, she dated it. I brought it to a local company here. They were able to take that recipe and put it onto a cutting board. So now my my mother-in-law's favorite recipe, my my wife, I gave it to I gave it to my wife for a Christmas gift. But now she's got it in her mother's handwriting, her favorite recipe on this cutting board. And barring a house fire or anything else, this this cutting board will be in our family for forever. And you know, how cool would that be? 200 years from now it's dated 2020 how cool would it be 100 years from now whoever owns it at the time but like this was my great 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 grandmother's favorite recipe from way back when they they talked on phones jason i 
that is everyone's Christmas gift on my list right now is they are going to get customized cutting boards <laughs> with, awesome. with carrot cake marmalade on it. <laughs> with carrot cake marmalade. Yes. That is such an awesome idea. I loved it. I, and I, I think my wife really enjoyed it too. It's just, you know, it's an heirloom item now and who knows what, what it's going to, you know, where it'll end up a couple of hundred years from now. That's so cool. Well, hey, quick tangent. Uh, you were talking about waffles. Um, and with with waffles, what I've really become to enjoy is like uh, venison and waffles or chicken and waffles. It's been something we've been making um, at our house for for quite quite a while. Um, and you get it. You get an element of yeah, that uh, fresh uh, waffle that's just going to be. I mean, sweet smelling as its own, but it's just a great plate to be able to put on a piece of either fried chicken and mostly in my case fried turkey um but even to pound out and do a country fried piece of venison on that and to add a sweet element to that but at the same time offer that element to be able to add some heat i can't say that i uh created this recipe um but i did get it off of a friend of mine and it's a, a jalapeno infused maple syrup is maple syrup a big thing you guys use down in louisiana or is that like a treat that uh, you come by every so often no no look maple syrup's a big deal but we don't get it the way you know northern people get it straight from a tree we uh we, we have to buy it but cane syrup is a big deal here um we grow sugar cane everywhere so cane syrup is our our local our local our local syrup Gotcha. But I'm, I, look, hold on. Let's not go too far off this tangent because you have my you have my <laughs> attention with this this jalapeno infused. Good, because I see this being like an awesome transition. So, hey, folks, if you are way south and there ha- doesn't happen to be a bunch of maple trees around you, but you got a whole bunch of cane cane sugar, you're you're going to be in for this. I think it'll work for the same application. Um. And I know you got jalapenos or some sort of pepper going in that garden of yours, and you're going to need to find a way to use them. So I slice them about quarter inch to maybe three eighths of an inch thick. And in a saucepan, add the syrup in, just jump in, dump in the jug or how much you ever want to, to hold on to at this point. And you're going to just flop or just start adding in uh, your jalapenos. I add the sliced i add the tip i add the pith i add the seeds everything goes in i'm not trying to seed anything out at this point and i let that just simmer inside of that uh that syrup you don't want to come you don't want to bring it to a boil we're not fully reducing it but what we are doing is heating the syrup up to be ready to accept the oil and the capsaicin and at the same time softening up that jalapeno that it's going to be then releasing those oils. Once I've done that, kill the heat, and I have a couple jars ready. And usually if I if they're the good canning jar, it's a nice big wide lid on it. You can just pour that in, and I stack those jalapeno slices right on the inside of it. Tighten the lid, turn it upside down, and hope that thing seals on its own. If it doesn't, it's syrup. It's self-shelf-stable. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be all right. But then to and be able to pull that amazing. off, it's super easy it's super simple but you pull that off and then it just you can smell that pepper you can smell that 
uh, that heat right off the, or the, the flavor of that jalapeno right off the, the syrup. And man, you pour that on and you take a couple bites. And after a while you're like, yes, there is heat here. Now it does dumb it down quite a bit. It's not a perfect transition um, for folks down there that are used to heat. You know, you don't, don't be afraid to add as much jalapeno into that bottle as possible to pack it in there. Um, but at the same time, you know, folks up here in Michigan, uh, I haven't had anybody turn their nose up to be like, Oh, it's too spicy. No, they really enjoy that little bit of a uh, little bit of surprise in their, uh, in their waffle. That, that culinary heat. Yes. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Gotcha. Well, Hey, it, it's not mine to own. So I am sharing <laughs> it not only with everybody here, but I'm sharing it with you. It's uh it's a winner. I know in, in my house, at least. So I've got us down to the crescendo of our show here, Jason. We are at our two-dish breakdown. And this is basically where I put you on the hot seat. You get to put your apron on, and you get to talk to me about two dishes, beginning to end. What are you going to do? What are you serving with? Method that you're going to be using. And you're going to tell me all about what you're going to do in that scenario. Let's do it. All right. So I'm opening it up to all wild game. So you have the run of the gamut down there. You're in sportsman's paradise. You have everything at your disposal. And I want a live fire meal. You're outside. You're at camp. You've just brought in your piece of meat. You've just brought in your your kill. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to are you going to cook it over charcoal? Are you going to go over wood? Are you going to smoke it? Is it high heat? What are you doing with that particular piece of meat on a live fire setup? Man, I thought you were going to give me something hard. <laughs> All right. We just have a successful duck hunt. And we've got these beautifully plucked birds with this beautiful yellow skin and fat. And I've plucked the entire bird. I haven't dismantled the bird, so I have the carcass. I'm going to stuff that carcass with boudin, which is uh, a, another Cajun staple. That's uh, It's a rice sausage that uh, is pork and liver. Uh, you can use venison for it, but I'm going to stuff it, the cavity of that bird, with, with boudin until, it, until it's overloaded with boudin. And then I'm going to put it on a smoker, and I'm going to smoke that bird to 135 degrees because you don't want to overcook waterfowl but while i'm smoking it Nick, just just bear with me here while i'm smoking this and we're drinking beer together and we're reliving this hunt i'm gonna baste this bird with some homemade satsuma pepper jelly that i made that i rendered back down into a liquid again i'm gonna baste that bird with that with that that pepper jelly until like i said it's 135 degrees and then we're gonna take off the smoke and let it rest. And while we're letting it rest, we're going to take some asparagus and we're going to pan sear that asparagus in some rendered duck fat. And we're going to serve that on the side. Whoa. How's that for the first one? Oh man, ballpark. Okay? It's gone. All right, going, hold on, going, we still gone. have dessert, Nick. We still have dessert. <laughs> hold on. Bear with me. We're, we're not done yet. So for dessert, I'm going to go in the pantry. I'm going to take a jar of homemade blueberry jam. And we're gonna we're gonna take a pie crust, a pre-made pie crust, 
and we're gonna cut into four squares. And we're gonna put that jam in the middle of that pie crust and lay another pie crust, on another square on top of that one. We're gonna seal it with water. We're gonna fork it down. We're gonna make our, our pretty little fork marks. And then we're gonna deep fry that. And that's what our dessert's gonna be. It's gonna be a homemade blueberry hand fried hand pie. Oh man, I love it. We got we got pepper basted pepper jelly paste basted duck with a boudin stuffing, and absolutely a, and asparagus off to the side to finish out with a hand pie, a deep fried hand pie. That with well, asparagus was rendered in in duck fat, so you get that rich duck fat flavor. Man, there's a reason I had you on this podcast, and I want to say it's just it's that right there. <laughs> there you go. That's our first meal. Did you say there was another one? There is another one. Okay. All right. This one. Okay. Yeah. Softball. Yeah. You hit this one out of the park. Nice job. Now, now it's a curveball. Okay. Because you're not looking to impress me. You're not looking to impress any of the people listening to this podcast. You're impressing the misses here. Oof. And she's my she's my toughest critic too. Oh, good. Well, hey, she, she enjoys it. All of it. You're uh, you're getting back from your Tennessee trip. You have been away for quite a while. The kiddos, they, they're off to grandma and grandpa's. They're gone. You're painting a totally different picture than cooking, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is priming for the rest of the night. This is still is, the is meal. This a family show, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> but you're bringing home a big old gobbler. And you are going to prepare a date night wild turkey meal for the missus as you're, hey, I'm home and I am now part back to this, uh, this family. Gotcha. What are right, you so, making? So the second thing I'm going to do when I get home is I'm going to take this turkey breast and I'm going to dice it up and I'm going to uh, pan sear it, uh, take it out of the, out of the skillet, and then I'm going to... Uh, Add some sun-dried tomatoes, some mushrooms, uh, add a little bit of wine and some, and some heavy cream, make a cream sauce, and then ladle that over my, uh, over my turkey. Uh, I'll probably have a side of cream spinach if I don't serve it over pasta. Um, a little cream spinach on the side, and then how about a fresh-baked French loaf that we'll cut slices with. And then while that French loaf is cooking, I'll go ahead and put some of that heavy cream in my um, in my butter churn, and we'll churn some fresh butter to put on the on the French loaf. I love it. It's fresh. It's bright. It's not. It doesn't sound heavy at all. Before we serve it, let me let me add this. I'll go out to my herb garden, grab a couple of of basil leaves, and then cut that over the turkey as well. Mm. Add some color to it. Yes. Now you got the, the red from the tomato and you have the, the green from the basil. Oh, it's it's working together. And if you cook the turkey just right, you're going to have those little crunchy edges, but it still be medium in the middle. Oh, yeah. That would be good. What song is going to be playing in the background while all this is going on? Oh, it's got to be Luther Vandross, man. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if the kids are down the street, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
man, Jason, this has been an awesome talk. You have just given us material folks. If you haven't had a pen and paper, uh, right next to you, uh, go ahead and press rewind and, and listen to, listen to this again. Is there rewind? Just scroll it back and start over. This isn't a tape deck. Go ahead and scroll back and get these just, I mean, absolute nuggets of gold that Jason has given us. Jason, where can my listeners find more about your recipes? Where can we, where can we find uh, a place to search out you and, and what you're about? Well, Instagram, uh, I like to put out my pictures on Instagram and uh, that's for the, the visual inspiration. Uh, but I also have a, a website. It's edibleoutdoorscook.com. You can go there and I put recipes out. I try to do one a week. Uh, every once in a while, it would be once every 10 days. But uh, subscribe there and you'll get my recipe of the week, which today was carrot cake marmalade. Uh, and then I also have a Facebook page, Edible Outdoors Cook as well. But uh, I prefer Instagram and the website over, over Facebook. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with this evening and just being it, man, just pouring out your love and passion for the outdoors and natural, amazing protein and even just the amazing forage that you've been able to pull off, just sharing your knowledge with us. Um, I'm going to let our folks go here. So if you would just hold on for just a second. Thanks folks, for having me, Nick. Yeah, folks, it has been an amazing night. Uh, to just get glean some of this information off. Jason has just given us a whole new realm to think about. When we're making our meals, you know, we don't have to fall into the trap that it's got to be amazing on its own. We can add a firecracker to it. We can make it pop. We can make it sizzle. We can add a sauce or a condiment that we make ourselves to just really send home the full dish. Ties the whole thing together. It brings that side dish on super close. So if it happens to be you whipping up and emulsifying your own mayo, or if you're going the uh, full extent and you're going with carrot cake marmalade, whatever you're doing, always keep your knives sharp.